Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus podcast, Season 2, Episode 24, brought to you by Lifetree. And you can learn more about us at JesusCenteredLife.com. This week, we're continuing our series on discipline for the month of June. And today, we're going to focus on the topic of living a dependent life with Jesus. And with me here is Becky Hodges. We call her the Becky Nader. Hello. My name is Rick. I'm author of The Jesus-Centered Life and editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible. And this idea that we're going to kick into today of living dependently, just even the just saying, I'm a dependent of someone, I mean, what does that conjure up for you immediately? Well, some sort of level of control, probably. <laughs> and weakness, maybe. And I'm, weakness, yeah. maybe feeling out of control, Yeah. So the the interesting thing about living a dependent life with Jesus is that it is perhaps the primary theme of his teaching and his modeling. It, we wouldn't often maybe frame all of the things he said and did under this umbrella of living a dependent life, but he is constantly urging us to not live in our own strength. He not only warns against it, he kind of tears back the reality of this and says, hey... Uh, if you're not living dependent on me, then you can't really do anything, like nothing. So what does it mean then? I mean, there's a lot riding on this. If we can yeah. do nothing apart from our dependence on Jesus, then there's a lot riding on what life looks like when we live dependently. And I would say, contrary to the images that we come up with when we first say this, that living a dependent life is the most powerful life you can live by definition, because you're getting the life Jesus has, which is the power of the universe, flowing in and through your life. So a dependent life is a very powerful life, and it also works against some of our natural tendencies to be independent. In fact, pretty soon we're going to be celebrating in America Independence Day. That's true. (laughs) There's nothing that goes more deeply in our psyche than the idea of independence. We don't want to be controlled by some outside force. And yet, Jesus says um, the kind of relationship he's looking for is not one of control. That's not the same thing as dependence. He's not looking for control, but he is looking for a deep attachment where everything that we are and do depends on him. So so let's maybe start off today, Becky Nader, with uh, some of the things that we are like in our everyday life dependent on, but maybe we don't often recognize or realize how dependent we are on these things. So what are some things that come to your mind? That Well, we're keeping our promise that we said that we're going to do a month of discipline and we're going to make it fun. So yep. I thought it would be fun to list some of the things that in real life that we are dependent on. Some of them are like really legitly serious. Like, yeah, I'm actually dependent on this. Other things are just funny things that we kind of overly depend on. So the first one on the list is that we're dependent on money. If money didn't exist or if we don't have any money, um, our life would change in a, in a pretty radical way. Yeah, I just heard a story uh, yesterday on NPR about uh, Bitcoin, which 
just mystifies me as a as a currency. But I was trying to understand it. But Bitcoin is becoming more and more popular around the world in like third world countries and unsettled governments because they can't depend on the stability of their own currency. So they're moving to the Bitcoin, which is promises to be a much more stable currency. So. Bitcoin is becoming very, very popular. Don't ask me to explain what the I'm heck. I'm gonna have to Google it later. Yeah, Bitcoin is is unless you're a a, a tech head, it's hard to understand Bitcoin. Oh, that kind of bit. But it's but it is a legitimate currency. It's it's a it's a highest valuation ever. It's something like eight thousand dollars equals one Bitcoin wow. right now. Something like that. Wow. Some crazy thing like that. So, but it 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 appeals to people who are. Uh, very unsettled in their currency dependence around the world, and they are looking for something solid. So that's that's a good reminder of how dependent we are on the thing that we use every day. So I'm, we'll list a few funny ones here. So uh, we're dependent on our GPS and Google Google Maps. I was just talking <laughs> yesterday about, um, does anyone remember the Thomas guides we kept in our, our cars? Apparently that's just a California thing. Um, we're also dependent on our smartphones. A lot of us are dependent on Facebook to tell us when our friends and family's birthdays are. I am totally <laughs> bad at this. In fact, today is my sister's boyfriend's birthday, which she reminded me a few a week ago, and I still only remembered because of the Facebook. Wow! Prompt. Wow! Hold on here. You keep up with your sister's boyfriend's birthday? I adore him. He's wow. great. He's wow. pretty much that's, family. That's stunning. Yeah. yeah. Also, Siri to call people. My husband got a new phone number last year, and I still don't know it. And every time, you know, if you're a wife, you have to like put your husband's number on like documents. And every time I have to get my phone out and look up what it is. But remember when you memorized everyone's phone number? In junior high, I could spout out every one of my best friend's phone numbers from memory. So we're dependent on Siri to we're, tell us. At an even more basic level, we're like dependent on oxygen. <laughs> we can't. If this you fall true. fall into the water also, and you don't come out of the water soon, also you, gravity. Gravity. Um, I I don't want to float away. Float away. <laughs> I'd rather not float this away. This is a good point. Yeah, these They're, were not on the list, and they should have been on the list. <laughs> you know, but once these things are taken away from you, yeah, you realize how dependent you are on the thing yeah. that was taken away from you. But in in the rest of the uh, in the rest of your life, it's just sort of uh, in the background. Yeah. So some of us are dependent on having an education. We're dependent on mortgages to live in the houses that we live in. We're dependent on a government. Mm. You know, some some uh, depending on where you live, you may be completely dependent on what the stability of the government is. That may totally affect your life yeah, just, day to day. Just yesterday, I was listening to a live report about some protests that were happening in Russia. And Me too. There you go. We were both listening to protests <laughs> in Russia. Yeah. And and what was shocking because it was a live report, you could hear what was happening in this huge public square and people just showing up to protest the government. They weren't violent, they weren't nope. anything. They were not only getting arrested, they were getting knocked down to the ground if they resisted arrest. They were getting knocked down to the ground by teams of 12 Russian military soldiers and then dragged to a into a uh, like a paddy wagon, and I was in Poland when it was still an Eastern Bloc country, and I was on a public square, and I saw something like this happen wow. in front of my very eyes. I saw a per a, a wagon come screeching into a, this huge public square, people scattering everywhere. It stops in front of this guy. These uh, soldiers pile out of the van, grab the guy, and throw him in the back of the van, and they sh and they scream off 
across that, the plaza. That actually made me think of something else that we're dependent on because part of that report, remember they were talking about how if you watched the like the states, um, the Russian state um, yes. uh, p- politic or uh, reporting, it wouldn't show. It would just it doesn't show that there's even any any of this happening, and how we're kind of dependent on the media to tell us what's going on in the world, but that it could be fabricated. Some of the stuff right. that. Fabricated. fabricated. You mean you mean like fake news? Yeah, I saying? actually I listened to it on NPR. This guy who's from the AP uh, report that was who was in power during the World War II, and he was talking about how yeah we knew a lot of these photos were being doctored, but what could we do about it? You yeah. Know? So yeah, we are dependent on uh, outside uh, sources of factual information, mm-hmm. and now that's in question a lot in our culture. What is fake and what's not? So we're a little bit uncertain as to what to trust and what not to trust because we're dependent on those things, and we're dependent on shelter. Uh, you know, we have the basics, food, water, and shelter. Utilities. Yep. Grocery stores to, to supply us food. We could keep going on and on about the everyday things that we are um, sort of in a background way dependent on, you know, and we, we kind of hate being dependent in general um, I, it was funny. I was listening to last week's podcast on my uh, commute up today, and if you listened to episode twenty-three, one of the last things I said on that podcast, we were joking about how on our private Facebook page for the pigs, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, uh, one of the funny conversations that's going on is what car would Jesus drive? It's really funny. And so, one of the last things I said on the previous podcast is, of course, he'd drive a Volvo. And later that day, I was driving home, heading to the highway, picking up speed, and I looked down for a moment at uh, obstruction on my sunglasses to get it off. When I looked up, all the traffic had stopped, and I slammed my Volvo into the back of a pickup truck going about 40 miles an hour. And obviously, my car was totaled. Rick is okay, by the way. Yeah, I was not harmed at all because it was a Volvo. And But it was so heartbreaking that in a moment, in a, just an instant... I, I destroyed my beloved car. Now I have to replace it, which is even a harder pill to swallow. But I also have the memory of the, the accident in my head still. I just looking up and seeing this pickup truck right in front of me and what a, a traumatic experience that was. But also now, in order to get around temporarily while we're looking for a replacement for this car, I am driving my daughter Lucy's 2003 Beater Honda Accord. That, that smells like Bon Bell chapstick. Yeah, it smells faintly like uh, <laughs> uh, teenage girl perfume and, and gum. And uh, it's an enclosed space. Like, you know what a Honda Accord, how much space you have in there. Uh, so I'm with that smell. I probably smell like that right now. Um, but I'm grateful that my daughter has a car that I can borrow. But I have the, it, it is a beater car. I mean, it looks, if you looked at it from the outside, you're like, whoa. <laughs> and so I have this kind of low level of embarrassment that I'm dependent on my do- my teenage daughter's car right now because of a mistake I made driving that um, I've, you know, all of us look away from the road uh, at, for brief stretches of time. This just happened to be the wrong stretch of time. And I, I just feel bad. I feel terrible that now I've, you know, cost my family whatever it's going to take to replace this car. And um, I've inconvenienced our family because I have to use my daughter's car when she needs it. And so... I'm I'm kind of dependent right now, and if you remember last week's podcast, we talk about how difficult it is to receive grace, mm-hmm. and and it's funny that into my life came that day an opportunity to receive grace, where I have to accept 
the grace of Jesus in the midst of a hard thing that happened and not beat myself up for it. And um, this is a journey for us. It, it, it may not be for you that you got in an accident and, and uh, kind of wreaked havoc in your family a little bit because of it. It may be something else that you kind of beat yourself up about. But part of that feeling is we don't like being dependent on anything, and we especially don't like being dependent on grace. I don't want to have to use my daughter's car because of a mistake I made. I want to be on top of things. I want to feel like I'm that I can, I can respect myself, even in this kind of thing. So the the idea that we're dependent it, it runs kind of counter to some of our natural inclinations. And when something in our life that we're dependent on goes away, it's amazing how strong our desire is to get that thing back. So. There's lots of stuff that's very powerful that surrounds this our whole relationship with dependence, and what we're going to do today is plunge into a, a remarkable moment in the ministry of Jesus. This moment is unlike any other one in the trajectory of Jesus's ministry and his community with the disciples. So we're going to read a little portion of Matthew 10, and then we're going to talk about it. Uh, just before we dive into that, I just want to set some context for Matthew 10. Ju- just at the end of chapter 9 of Matthew 10, uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling all over the region to, to towns and villages, and, the, and he's teaching in the synagogues, and he's proclaiming that he's the Messiah, and he's healing diseases and illnesses, and he's performing miracles. And of course, because of this, he's attracting very large crowds, and uh, it says just before this moment we're going to dive into that he had this great compassion on these crowds. He saw how many of them there were, and he starts. To, he, you can see the seeds of what he's about to do. He's about to multiply himself. He can only be in one place at one time as uh, Jesus, who is both God and man, and he has compassion on these crowds and these villages that he's going to. And so he's going to spring a little surprise on the disciples. They do not see this coming. So let me go ahead and read this. This is starting in chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his twelve disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. So right off the bat, he calls them together. He doesn't say what he's doing. He just says, I'm going to give you authority to cast out evil spirits and cure every kind of illness and disease. And then in Matthew 10, it names the twelve disciples. Uh... Uh, who was in the room at the time, which is important. It, it, the specifics are important. Here's these 12 guys that he just conferred authority upon. And then it says in verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Now here's what I want you to listen to. Put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. All of a sudden, he, you're hearing, oh, uh, what? Jesus is, is sending us out. And he's going, we know from uh, other accounts of this moment, that he's sending them out two by two. So he's pairing them up, and he's sending them out without him for the first time. So up until this point, the disciples have been following Jesus around, watching him teach and heal and cast demons out and perform miracles, and they're they're just on the sidelines. Um, Now they're about to be in the game, and they did not know this was going to happen today. So think about it. You're just minding your own business. You think this day is going to be like any other day, and Jesus gives you authority, and then he says, I'm going to send you out two by two into the surrounding region, and you're going to be out there for a while, um, and 
uh, when you come back, we'll debrief your experience. But here's what I want you to know about going out. So here's what he says to them. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. So he's saying, I have a specific mission for you with this first trip. And by the way, he's not giving them an uh, overwhelming thing to do in their first scary thing that he's asking them to do. He's sending them to their people, to the people of Israel. So he's not, he's not making the challenge too great here. So he's sending them to the people of Israel, and here's what he says he wants them to do. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, here's your job description, guys. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you've received. Oh my gosh. What if your job description today, your just boss called you in and said, you know what, uh, we're changing your job. And by the way, you're not going to have an office anymore. You're, you're going to be on the road, and I w- all I want you to do is three things. Your job description is easy to remember. So I, I just want you to announce that the kingdom of heaven is near, meaning point them to me, that the Messiah is here, and, and the Messiah is me. And then I want you to heal the sick and raise the dead and cure incurable diseases and cast out demons. Okay? Out you go! Uh, so they have this, like, oh my gosh, daunting thing he's asking them to do. So that's daunting enough, but then listen to what Jesus says are his stipulations for them going out. He says, starting in verse 9, don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins, not even a little bit of money. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals, or even a walking stick. So no suitcase, no backpack, no change of clothes, no nothing. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. That's interesting. So when you enter the town, look around for somebody who's worthy. How do you know? Yeah, I I guess you you have a worthy meter um, as you're Maybe meeting people. Gl- like they glow or something, or like. Or your glitter like drops down from heaven. On or their maybe house? You're, maybe you're standing behind somebody at Starbucks, and they offer that person offers to pay uh, an amount for a charitable cause that Starbucks is running. So and they like, they throw a, a couple. That's a worthy Can person. Can I stay at your house? Yeah. Would you mind if I just hung out? You know, it wouldn't actually be for the afternoon, right? We're thinking we might be here for a week. We're or not so. sure. Yeah. We're just casting demons <laughs> until they're gone. <laughs> Whenever the demons are gone, we'll we'll move out. So so you're you're searching for a worthy person to stay in their home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. Now, if it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. I mean, that must have been an interesting sight. You know what? I haven't had such a good time in your home. Your I'm food, taking back my blessing. Your food was kind of rotten. It was uh, it was all right. Taking back the blessing. <laughs> and he goes on, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. It's like a statement of, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm I'm done with you guys. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. So, wow. He's removing so many aspects of comfort and security from them right off the bat. Let me just finish up with uh, verse 16. He's giving them now a reality check about what this is going to be like for them once they go. 
So he says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's really positive. Yeah, especially for people who, you know, we kind of know sheep and we kind of know wolves, but they knew sheep and they knew wolves. This was like an everyday reality. Sheep have no natural ability to fend off a predator like a wolf. I'm thinking of like those giant like you know sales conferences where they're like they send all their salespeople for like a weekend and like feed them good booze and food and then they have like these pep talks like this would be the worst pep talk ever. <laughs> it's like this sounds like motivating. It sounds like you've been to one of these food and booze saturated sales conferences, Becky. Is that I, I worked in a hotel, so I saw them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, here here he goes on and he says uh, so. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so, okay, because that's your reality, so be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. And by the way, that little verse right there, I wrote a whole book called Shrewd. You did. Based on, that, based on this one little thing that Jesus says to them about being, being shrewd uh, because you are sheep among wolves. So he says, be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves, but beware— for you will be handed over to the courts, and you'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. And when you are, not if, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And we're going to stop there. I think you should read the Jesus Answers Life's Essentials Questions oh. section in the Bible here. Cause yeah, I'm reading from really reading from the Jesus Center Bible, and uh, I wrote these um, these uh, little uh, kind of sidebars throughout uh, the the four Gospels. Uh, we had determined um, our team had determined that there are basically nine essential human questions that all human beings have, and so I did a little experiment and wanted to f- kind of figure out. How does Jesus answer each of those nine questions? And I had to actually limit the number of these little sidebar essays that I wrote because he answers them over and over again. And here's one from Matthew 10. It's it's called again Jesus answers life's essential questions. It's a little further along than what you read, but yeah. it's still good. But uh, and the essential question here, the essential human question here is will everything be okay? So here's what I wrote for this. Jesus is no mere optimist. He doesn't try to pump us up with empty promises or sunny predictions about the future. He always tells it like it is. Never shine away from hard realities. If he were always trying to spin reality for us, we'd quickly descend into fear because mere optimism has no real power to change our reality. And here he is painting a picture of reality for his disciples. They will face hard things as they go out in his name to bring his message of hope and redemption to the people who need it but they are to move in boldness, not fear. Everything, he says, will be exposed to the light in the end, and if the worst someone can do is kill our body, then we have nothing to worry about. If we believe we will live forever with him, then nothing, not even our physical death, can really destroy us. So there's a little sidebar about that section, about Jesus answering our question, will everything be okay? And usually what we want to hear is, yeah, yeah, nothing bad's going to happen which is a false statement. Mm -hmm. Instead, Jesus is a realist, but he's also a planter of hope at the same time. So he's real, but he's also hopeful in the same moment. So to to kind of back up to the beginning of this, to the context of this, uh, we kind of slowed down to pay ridiculous attention to what's happening here, because the context is important for us to tap into our own emotions about how we would feel if we were in the shoes of these disciples. First, you're given an impossible job, and then 
The person who just gave you the impossible job said you can't even take anything along that will make it any easier for you. No money, no clothing. You have to be completely dependent as you go out, including uh, finding somebody who's crazy enough to invite you to stay at their house. Uh, I have a friend, we have a friend named Carl Medeiros, who's a missionary to the Middle East, and he, he uh, often talks about the hospitality of the people in the Middle East, that they're much more naturally open than, than we are in American culture. So you could maybe track back in history to the people in this region that maybe when Jesus says, look for a worthy person and ask if you can stay there, maybe it wouldn't be quite as daunting in that culture as it would be for us in our culture to do that. Nevertheless, Jesus is systematically stripping every source of sustenance and comfort from them as they go out. So the question is, why? What is the reason that Jesus is doing this systematic uh, extraction of every help that they might need to do this tough thing? So what are some of the things you thought about, Becky, as I read? Well, I think that... um... I really just wrote kind of like a, a the ascension of all of the details. He he gave them authority, um, and I think that was a key part of it, is that he gave them authority could, because the Holy Spirit wasn't here, and so he had to give them authority to be able to do some of this stuff. And then he 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 really, it, it's interesting, he, he has like a really small set of things that he wants them to do. It wasn't actually very complicated. And also, like you said, I wrote at first, like, okay, he went after um, God's people only, Israel, people from Israel. Why did he do that? And you kind of answered that. It was an easy challenge. This wasn't, it wasn't a hard set of things. It was an easy challenge. Um, And he wanted them to give as freely as as they've received. I think when it comes to, uh, we're on the topic of discipline, and we're we're talking about that discipline is an outcome of dependence. So today we're talking specifically about how do you live a dependent life? And I think that's the key right there: is you give as freely as you've as you've received. Um, And what does it look like in our life to give as freely as we have received from Jesus? Um, and also when we, you know, we just listed a whole bunch of things that we're dependent on, right? We're dependent on shelter and food. And Jesus kind of was preparing them in a way to say, I'm taking away all of that stuff. You're not going to have any guaranteed shelter. You're not going to have any guaranteed clothing that's clean. Just what's whatever's on you. You're going to be dependent on the hospitality of these people. And by the way, they're going to be really kind of mean to you. So that you probably won't, it'll be hit or miss. You may come into one town and get a good, you know, reception and you may go into another and then it's a long distance before you get to another receptive town. You're going to have to completely rely on me. So in my mind, I was thinking, what does that look like in our own lives? And is there a path to dependence that has something to do with putting ourselves into a place of dependence? And and does Jesus sometimes, when when we are maybe living in a place of abundance, does he purposely put us in, into places of dependence so that we can learn that? Um, because the outcome of that is discipline. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, that's good. It's good to remind ourselves of the of the month season we're in here. Again, we're talking about discipline. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the daunting challenge in front of them and the big job that Jesus has given them, and now I've made it even harder. It's like if you ever watch uh, The Amazing Race, that's one of the few TV shows that our family just watches together. It's fascinating to see how the producers of that show 
create challenges for, for the for the competitors on that show. Sometimes you go, really? That too? You're going to have them do that? While they're doing that, like in this last season, one of the contestants hated heights, and he ended up having to do two or three different of these challenges that involved incredible heights. Like you could see he, he was almost reduced uh, to nothing in the face of these challenges. And you, and you think, really, that too? And Jesus is in this place where you're going, really, that too? And the idea that discipline then muscles your way through, okay, so if this is the deal, then I'm going to just muscle my way through it. I'm going to tap into my own strength and figure out how to do this. So he he kind of makes that not a possibility <laughs> by upping the ante with them. Oh, you think you can do this? Guess what? I, you can't do this, and you can't bring that, and you're not going to be able to do this. He's trying to make it impossible for them to muscle through with their own strength so that this idea of being dependent on him as they go out is pretty much their only option. He's giving them training wheels for how to live dependently with him by taking away all the stuff that they would have depended on if they could. So this also speaks to these seasons in our life, like, you know, this is a micro-season for me where I'm now dependent on my daughter's car, and boy, I wish I had my old car back, and boy, if that wasn't possible, boy, I wish I could have found found a replacement car last weekend and I wouldn't have to be doing this. It's inconvenient and it's hard, and I want it to go away. But what it does do is it drives me back to... The, a childlike dependence on Jesus in the midst of it. I can't tell you the number of times during the day I will say something like, um, this is just being human here, sorry, Jesus, that that happened, and I'm really, really dependent on you now for the resolution to this. Can you please help? Can you hear the child in that? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, this is the place that he wants us to be. The, the thing to point out, though, is so you've got these disciples. They spent all of this time with Jesus. They were completely prepared. They went through this very intense training. They probably came back from this trip, and they they probably felt very much more prepared to be dependent on Jesus. But in the end, they kind of failed the test. And I, the reason they failed the test is because the, they needed the Holy Spirit, and and they didn't you know they didn't have that. And so. Their dependence is not just all about training and being on our own. You could you could put on the training wheels and say, "Okay, I'm going to be dependent on Jesus. I'm going to um, I'm going to take all of my possessions away, and I'm going to do this." But you still need the Holy Spirit to guide you. And even these guys who went through intense training and spent a lot of time with Jesus. At, at the end, m- most of them they were gone. They scattered. They hid. They you know denied him. And it, it was only actually after the Holy Spirit came that they became kind of way more courageous. And so the combo of those two things is really important, that we don't just try and do this all on our own. Yeah, and I think you pointed out a good thing here, that that a dependent life is not a, res- not a new recipe mm-hmm. for success. It's a dependent life. Its goal and purpose is to cement our intimate relationship with Jesus, not to produce necessarily always better outcomes for us. That's where we want to go. Um, every every one of the quote-unquote spiritual disciplines, we hope that they will lead us to better outcomes. But the outcome Jesus is after is greater and greater intimacy, greater and greater attachment to his life. 
So if we kind of coalesce and condense this, this instructions for going out into something that kind of fits in our everyday life, um, I, I did this in a uh, chapter in the Jesus-centered life called Needing Him to Know Him, where we kind of took this story and kind of condensed it down to, well, what, what does this look like for us? So the, f- the first thing I wrote in there, there's, there's I think, four or five, uh, I, can't, I think, broad themes that attach to pragmatic l- ways of living for us. So the first one is starting with the doable challenge. So Jesus, again, is sending them out to the people of Israel, not to the scary people outside their own people. So he's, he's kind of giving them a, a, a challenge, a dependence challenge, that's not too, too incredibly big for them. Uh, he does remove some of the challenge so that they feel like it's not totally impossible. And so um, we, when we start out with a, a doable challenge, it means that we lean into things that aren't simply overwhelming for us, that he's calling us to things that um, that feel we feel the edge of the challenge, but it doesn't wash over us like a wave. So the second one is actually, um, it's look to Jesus to set specific boundaries around our risk. So I know that in my life, I have a tendency to do this just because I'll be like, I'm going to do this, and I take it to the nth degree. And so I, you know, asking him, saying, hey, Jesus, I want to take on this challenge, but I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to do more than you're asking me. So will you will you show me where the boundaries of this are? Um, show me exactly what you want me to focus on and what you don't want me to focus on so that I don't take this. And especially I talk a lot about, you know, in diet challenges specifically, it's like your natural inclination is I'm going to do this for a year and I'm going to become vegan and paleo or whatever. And, and really Jesus is like, could you just stop eating ice cream at 10 o'clock at night? <laughs> for the next week, that would be great. And, so I, I love that because because what Jesus is really saying here is, yes, I'm going to ask you to risk. Yes, I'm going to ask you to be dependent. But I don't want you just muscling this out and saying, okay, well, you want me to risk? You want me to depend it? Okay, let's, let's go. He's saying, no, let me set the boundaries around whatever that is going to look like. So it's, it's uh, it, I write in, my, in the book that uh, I just remember when I was in college, all of the sort of, um, you know, serious followers of Jesus that, that, that were, I was in community with, they always assumed that whatever Jesus wanted them to do, it had to be the hardest option yeah. in front of them. They assumed it. Uh-huh. And what are you assuming about the heart of Jesus when you assume that, that whatever option is hardest, that's the one he's going to choose for you? It's, it's again, um, living the, the, the Christian life outside of dependence on Jesus to let him decide what it is he's calling you to, whether it seems like the easy option or the hard option. It's all really coming from him. He gets to be the one who sets the boundaries. And so how do you do that? It has to be that you put before him the available options, which way to go, and you, and you let him influence those by opening yourself to his input. And opening yourself to his input is simply like what we talked about in our last podcast, sometimes just saying, what do you need to tell me, Jesus, about the challenge I have in front of me? What boundaries do you want to put on it, and how can you direct me? He may not answer, quote-unquote, in a uh, still small voice. He might answer in this gut sense that you have of what is now right for you to do. Or even the circumstances can 
fall into place to kind of indicate what you are to do, the boundaries around this. But the main thing is to let him guide and direct those boundaries instead of just uh, kind of doing it your own way. So the next one is to trust Jesus to meet our needs along the way. And this is a great one. Sometimes when we are being called to do something, it, it maybe it's it's small or maybe it, it it to you it feels really big. It feels like a really big challenge. Um, I am a, in this really wonderful group of young writers. They're Christian writers, and they're between the ages of 16 and 22. And I am a mentor in this group. And a lot of them, these young girls, are traveling internationally, some with Christian organizations, and just and some are not with an organization, and they're just out there just following Jesus's lead and, and sh- seeing what happens when they show up. Um, but what I love about what they constantly write about is these really miraculous stories of Jesus just showing up and providing when they didn't think um, that he was going to. One of the girls just got to Madagascar last week and she got there and realized that three of the girls that she was um, three of the young girls that were supposed to be in the school didn't get funding. And so she just got on Instagram and she did a video and she said, I need funding for these three students to stay in this class with me. And as, before the video was even op- um, over, she got funding for all three of those girls. So mm. just trusting and being vulnerable and, and just knowing Jesus is going to come through. I know he can do it for yeah, me. And trust is vulnerable by its very nature. And I'm just thinking back to last Thursday, I'm sitting by the side of this intersection. My destroyed car has now been towed away. I, I grabbed all the stuff out of my glove box in the back of the car. It's in a pile on the grass. And I'm an hour and a half away from home. I'm tired. It's 6.30 at night. And I feel so discouraged and defeated mm-hmm. by everything that's happened. And I just remember I was kneeling in this grass on one knee, and it was soaking water into my into my pants as I was sitting there just wondering what I was going to do. And I just stopped, and I said, Jesus... I need you. Um, please help. And what Jesus said to me in that moment was, hey, I, I just, uh, I, you ever have a sense of the, the, the kind of facial expression Jesus has when he says something? I do. And in this moment, he had a smile on his face, not a, like a hilarious smile, just a smile. He was smiling at me, and he said, Rick, you watch. I'm going to make something beautiful out of this ugly thing. You watch. And I'm like, yeah, I know, Jesus, I wrote that in my books, and I say that all the time, so probably that's just me coming up with that. And he smiled at me and said, no, I'm going to make something beautiful out of this ugly thing. Will you trust me? That's the real question then from that moment, kneeling there in the grass. Will I trust him? And, you know, uh, he punctuated this by... um, My wife called, just happened to remember, after I told her I was in an accident and I was okay, she happened to remember we had a friend who was nearby um, running an errand an hour and a half away, and she called that friend, and he was able to pick me up and take me home an hour and a half because he happened to be there that day, which was a tremendous blessing in the midst of this hard day that my wife didn't have to drive up and pick me up and... Somehow I got a ride home, and I could share my story with some, with a friend mm-hmm. on the way down there. So Jesus brought me community and convenience when I really needed that, and it was almost like his little his little nudge to me, his little down payment. Hey, uh, I know you don't know what's going to happen yet, and I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but I will bring beauty out of it. And that's the point of trust. 
that we have. We either trust in his heart or we don't in that in that moment. And if we trust in his heart, we live like we do. The the fourth one and the second to last one is um, that we accept the trust Jesus has invested us in us and exercise your gifts. And I've talked about this on the podcast over the last year that one of the big things that I needed to do was step up to the way that God had gifted me and stop hiding behind the scenes. Mm. And I have been just incrementally working at that. And it hasn't, it wasn't like a big shift. It, it has been incrementally like, Hey, I, I want you to, I, you can do that. I gifted you to do that. Why aren't you stepping up to do it? And then he's just incrementally just kept leading me o- over and over again to say yes to things instead of um, pushing them to someone else. Oh, you'd be good at this instead of doing that to saying, yeah, I could do that. So that's yeah, one. Yeah, and that the, the thing that to point out about that is in the dependent life with Jesus, it means that you're accessing life and strength for the gifting that you have. And then he expects you, like the, in the parable of the talents, to invest those gifts. So if he's going to provide the resources, as in the parable of the talents, when he gives three different people three different amounts of investment and asks them to go make money for him, and obviously two find a way to risk and invest, and one buries what what they've been given um, by the, the master, and that, that one who buried it is reprimanded. So Jesus is trying to get across this, hey, I'm going to give you things I'm going to give you strength and life and gifting, and then I want you to risk and do something with those gifts, because that's when it gets fun. This is what a relationship is about. It's, it's uh, a mutual risk on behalf of, of both of us. I give, and you take that and do something with it. So he is expecting us to exercise those gifts. The last one is remember that dependence means that we look to Jesus as the source of our good impact. And this is the good news, right? So um, discipline is hard, um, and and overcoming something really challenging that you need to give up is hard. Um, accepting and trusting Jesus and being vulnerable is hard. But at the end of all of this, when we do this and we say yes and we keep doing this, we get to have an impact for Jesus on other people's lives. And that is the whole reason for this entire thing. It's not about us. It's not about what we're going to get. We talked about this in the first um, in the first episode on discipline about how oftentimes we want to be disciplined and we want to be good because we want our lives to be blessed. But this is actually about um, furthering the kingdom, and this is spreading um, the good news that um, Jesus came to give, and that is, that's why we're here. Um, that's why we are dependent. That's why we, um, we look for discipline in our lives, is so that other people can hear the good news, too. Yeah, and in Luke's version of the end of this story, you know, when the disciples come back from this scary, risky trip, and they're debriefing, the <laughs> disciples say something that's just so authentically honest. They, they come back to Jesus, and they go, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're like, can you believe it? You, you should have seen it, Jesus. It was incredible. We, we used the authority of your name, and the demons submitted to us. And they're all over-the-top excited about this. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, that, that's good. That's good. But don't get too impressed with yourselves here. Remember where that came from. That was my authority that I gave to you. So the point in all of this is we, as we are exercising and risking on behalf of our gifts— is that it becomes a form of worship, because we can even say to ourselves underneath it, as we're experiencing our own strength, thank you, Jesus, for your strength. Thank you that your 
filling me up so that I can do these things. It becomes uh, an act of worship, and Jesus' response to his friends is, yeah, that's great. Don't forget where that came from. It's important for you not to get uh, too impressed with your godlike abilities here, because I gave you the thing to use. I applaud you for risking in using it, but always remember where it came from in the first place. It's, it's a, a good reminder for us. So um, uh, there's a, a few hints and uh, pointers along the way to living a more dependent life on Jesus. We just encourage you to take a little baby step today, to trust Him and depend on Him in a way that you, maybe you haven't before. Maybe something that's in your life right now that you're dependent on as a source of strength, um, you're, you might be willing to, to maybe give that thing up and, and trust Jesus to get that for you or supply that need for you instead. I don't know what that could be, but if something just popped into your head, it's worth chewing on that a little bit and asking Jesus, what would you like me to do with that? How can I live more dependently on you? And by the way, we're just about uh, a little over a month out from the Simply Jesus gathering here in the Colorado mountains, and um, we would love to reconnect with you. Community is a form of dependence as well, and so we want to take every opportunity we can to be in community with all of you, whether it's on the Facebook page for the pigs, which Becky will explain in just a second, or whether it's face-to-face on a mountain ranch with the Simply Jesus Gathering. You can go to simplyjesusgathering.com if, you want to, if you're interested in finding out about uh, uh, attending this uh, mountain gathering of Jesus lovers uh, put on by our friend Carl Madera. So, Becky, maybe you can tell them uh, how to get involved with the pig's private Facebook page. So we have a private Facebook group for people who regularly listen to this podcast and who are interested in going all in for Jesus and being in community with other people around the world who want to do that as well. Uh, we had about 20 new people join this week and t- about 20 the week before. So we'll see um, how it continues to grow. But we, uh, if you click on the link in the description here, you can join the pigs. Um, Rick and I send fun, special things to the pigs. Um, we include you in asking you questions and getting information from you for podcast episodes. In fact, we're about we're going to be recording a podcast later this afternoon that w- came from the pigs, and we did actually a story a couple weeks ago that came from the pigs as well. So you can join that group, and we would be overjoyed to be in further relationship with you. Well, gang, that's it for today. This is, uh, again, the Pain Ridiculous Attention to Jesus podcast, Season 2, Episode 24. And, uh, you know, you can find out more information about everything we talked about today, just as Becky has just said. If you um, go to JesusCenteredLife.com, find our podcast section, and uh, click on Season 2, Episode 24. This is a podcast from Life3. Subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and we'll talk next time. Bye.